This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Digital Divide, a series of kōrero conversations about digital equity, access and well-being in Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is a collaboration between Link Roro, Plains FM and Ako Ototahi Learning City Christchurch to amplify marginalised voices and provoke system change. Ko Fiona Dihan toko ingoa. My name is Fiona Dihan and I decided to start these conversations because I wanted to learn and understand more myself use my voice to create spaces where these stories and this kōrero could be heard by others and create a more inclusive, equitable and understanding Aotearoa New Zealand. Kia ora Nesa, good morning, how are you? Marlena, thank you so much for having me here today. It is so good to have you here. Um, look, I'm just going to jump straight into it um, and I invite you to introduce yourself to our listener. Um, who are you? What fills your life? So my name is Nisa Koizumi and I work for the Digital Waitaha Charitable Trust. Yeah. And I've been in New Zealand now for 14 years. And I started off as a programmer. I was in IT for 20 years, actually, overall. And now we um, have settled in. I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. And we enjoy you know, hiking and doing a lot of stuff as a family. And we've just started doing martial arts, all four of us as a family. So Awesome. Wow. What, what, uh, what, what martial art are you doing together? We're actually doing a mixed martial arts. So it's been quite fun. So, you know, during the week, as your kids start acting up, you always know that you have a night that you can, uh, you know. Have <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, my God. That's the best family activity ever. That sounds Absolutely. like so and yeah, you know, hearing your your beautiful accent as well. And well, I mean, anyone <laughs> listening to this episode is in for a treat. Listen to these two accents. I've been here 13 years myself. And where where do you originally hail, hail from? Where do you fuck a papa to? So our home was in Ohio. That's where I met my husband. Mm. And we came to New Zealand on our honeymoon. Mm. And we just absolutely fell in love with the country. And we're like, hmm, how can we stay here a little bit longer? Yeah. So he went and did a midlife change of career. And... Luckily, at the time, being in IT, I was a senior architect, so it was quite mm. easy for me to find a job, and essentially the rest is history. Uh, my son was born in the United States, however, my daughter will proudly tell you that she was born here, and she's full-fledged Kiwi. <laughs> I love But we're all Kiwis now. We all have our citizenship, <laughs> yes. so. Oh, cool. Congratulations. That's mm. brilliant. Um, tell me, why did you agree to join me for this Correro? Oh, I think digital equity, is, it's, it's understated. I think it's an area where people maybe aren't really thinking about it. It's not on the forefront. And also, when people think about digital equity, they're thinking about access. Do you have devices that you can use? Or they're thinking about internet connectivity. Or they're thinking about the digital divide between the rural or urban space. But what they're not thinking about is that actually as we increase access, what we're doing is we're actually increasing people's opportunities to encounter some of the more negative sides of the internet. So my focus is then in that digital safety and that well-being space of as we get users more and more um, comfortable on devices, making sure then they stay safe. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's digital, digital equity or digital divide. It's such a I suppose it is a pretty broad topic. So, you know, you've you've um, you've jumped in there and, and really started to define what specific area you're interested in. And um, it's just around that trust, isn't it? You know, that, that we can we can play, work, be in those digital spaces in, in a safe way. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So we just want to make sure that. You know, whenever you go online, that you have the confidence to be responsible, that you are using the Internet in an ethical way, and that you know that when you encounter something online, that you have the tools in your tool belt to be able to handle really anything that comes your way and you know, feel empowered to be able to do so. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Nisa. So tell me a bit more about I know your tell me a bit more about your work and how um, the work of the trust and, and how you got to that point. Yeah, where did that come from? Well, I was a programmer for many years, and I thought, you know, as my kids started becoming digital citizens, I had this parent, digital parenting thing in the bag. Mm. They weren't going to be able to get anything by me. 
And I found out quite quickly how very wrong I was. My son had figured out how to get on a device and was watching YouTube videos essentially all night long, despite the fact that we had parental controls. And I'm sitting there going, okay, if I know this stuff, I come from an IT background. How are other parents supposed to know this stuff? Okay, what research is out there to help parents then in navigating, you know, helping our children navigate this digital world? And there was nothing. So it was, you know, there was a lot of stuff. There's that, you know, the ambulance and fence. Have you heard that? Oh, yeah, the ambulance. Yeah, so we don't want to be, there's the fence at the top of the cliff and the ambulance at the bottom. We don't want to be the ambulance. We don't want to be the ambulance. too late, right? Absolutely. Mm. So there was a lot of stuff out there to help once you kind of started dealing, maybe once you've gone over that digital cliff. Mm. But there really wasn't anything out there to help parents guide their kids in any preventative kind of safety strategies as well. So that was a huge eye opener. And so I started doing a lot of research. I was getting towards the end of my programming career. And this was just such a great opportunity for me to just dive in and see um, what was out there, what I could do. So I started working with a bunch of college students, actually, in mid-Canterbury, and just finding out, you know, what are some tips that I can have as a parent use to help my kids. And then that just evolved into, wow, what you mean you guys have had to figure all this out on your own? Who nobody here was to guide you. You're dealing with all of this stuff. What's there to help you? And then um, talking to principals as well, they're saying, oh, you know, it'd be great if we had Fano presentations. We do have some people in this space, but really not from that child or that young person point of view. So then the research led to Fano presentations, then that led to actually digital safety strategy, stop, block, and talk. And then all of that, well, this is something that everybody needs. I can't, I kind of had this existential crisis of I can't really be in a business where I'm charging people how to stay safe or how to be well online. So then that evolved into the Digital Waitaha Charitable Trust. Mm. And through that, I get to continue to work with a lot of amazing young people who have been so lucky to have their trust, and they have been able to give me a lot of the um, insights of what they've done to stay safe online. And so just continuing to do, um, continuing to work with them to help others, essentially, and that's been, it's been wonderful. It, it sounds like such a journey, you know, yeah, that moment of, oh, my goodness, what are my kids able to access? And I thought I had this yes. down. And particularly, as you say, you'd worked in that field. Yeah, it was um, a very eye opening and kind of, oh, gosh, you know, how arrogant was I as a parent to think that I had this and then realizing just how big really the issue was overall. Yeah. And as a parent myself, yeah, I'm I'm nearly afraid of some of the things that I've been hearing, you know, as we've chatted before. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I need to. I ne- already I'm thinking I need to go read a lot of your resources and knowing, I suppose, on a certain level that there was definitely things I didn't know, but almost afraid to admit it. Yes. Isn't that a big thing, I think, for parents? And and I think where we're not we're not we're forgetting that the that a generation used to mean something very different, like a generation might mean, oh, I suppose the gap between what myself and my parents would know was was quite different, whereas actually that there's multiple generations now nearly between me and my child, you yep. know, because even though I'm her mother um, or I'm, I'm their parent, there's actually the amount of things that have changed in that time is much greater. Does yep. that make sense? Absolutely. Have I, have I, I, sense I wonder, I, I won- sometimes wonder if there's ever been a, as big a gap between parents and kids as there is now. I mean, we think about the digital world as being something else. You know, we have the online world and the offline world. We talk about that being online and offline. But for our kids, it's just their world. And so and then not only that, there are also many, many, many cases, mine included, know way more about what's happening online, way way more about social media, about gaming and all that other stuff. So they just know so much more than we do in this area. And I'm just I wonder, has there ever been this big of a gap ever? That's a great question. That's such a great question. And that's scary for parents. It's absolutely terrifying. And I think a lot of times, you know, they I think it's safe not knowing what you don't know. Yeah, but that's not that's not a good enough. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And then (laughs) then there's that safety and oh, well, oh, my kid's five. So I don't need to worry about anything. Or, Oh, you know, my kid. Oh, it's going to change. All the stuff's going to change by the time I need to worry about it. And there'll be safety measures. And so I don't need to worry about it if they even thinking about it. And a lot of times it's just not something they I mean. 
parents, think of all the stuff that they have to deal with. We just came out of COVID. We have all these things, just parenting that we need to do and adding this on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So this, um, yeah, so digital digital safety, right? I mean, let's think. So I just want to come back to what you talked about, the trust there for a moment and um, starting to work with uh, some Nangantahi, some young people um, and hearing their um, experiences and, and their learnings. And, you know, I found that really interesting when you were telling me that, because often, you know, it can be an organization is off going, right, this is what we know and this is what, you know, so this is what we know and this is what we should do. And maybe there's not that same lack, that same level of engagement with those experiencing it. Um, so I found that quite, you know, I thought that, that I really liked in hearing that from you that, you know, it was quite youth. It's been quite youth led and youth informed um, rather than a, a youth done to. Like a top down to. And <laughs> I think, down, again, yeah. it goes back to the fact that we are in a situation where the youth know more than us. Mm. So let's tap into their expertise and knowledge. Mm. But combine that with, you know, I actually was a programmer. But before that, I was a researcher at The Ohio State University. So my degree is actually in psychology. And so let's let's marry that up with what the research has to say. And it's it's amazing. These kids, the ones that I figured out on this own, actually match what the research is saying. So we came up with the students, you know, asking them, what are the things that you're dealing with and the whole list of stuff? Okay, well, how did you handle those things? And Stop, Block, and Talk, a preventative sa- digital safety strategy, came from these conversations. And if you actually think about what you do online when you're handling something a little bit you know, sketchy or whatnot, it's in the simplest sense when you were dealing with the youngest kids and the first time you give your child a device, it's teaching them that if you come across something that's made you feel scared or not safe, or if one of this year two students, when I was in one of the schools, she said, makes your tummy feel a little bit yucky, mm. then you stop doing it. So we know, like, we'll have parents say, well, my kids aren't online, but are they on Netflix? Are they on YouTube? Yes. So even the youngest, you know, three years old, four years old, five years old, six years old, just watching Netflix, stop what you're doing, block yourself from doing it again. So don't do it anymore until you have a chance to talk to mommy and daddy. And so starting this this preventative safety strategy evolved from the conversations that we've had with these students. For youth, for kids to meaningfully engage in this and to take this on board, it's actually really important that we've um, we've heard we've heard from youth to inform this strategy. Absolutely. So it's it's not it's not that grown ups made it up based on what they know and all of that. It was actually we talked to young people who have recently experienced this, who have experienced the negative impacts actually of not doing this. And then we've learned from them what they've done to help navigate it. So that makes it easier to well not easier, but, you know, it's more relatable. Absolutely. As you say, for kids to take on board. Um, so here they listen to a, a peer tell them they're going to hear a peer way more than they're going to see some old lady in the front of the room saying, this is what you need to do in this situation. Mm. If they hear a peer that's been through the situation and this is how they've handled the situation and they can help. And so what's nice, too, is that we're able to get our youth ambassadors or young people that are helping reinforce these strategies within schools and within the communities. Well, they're on board because they created this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so then when they're talking to younger people going, oh, well, when I get older, I can be a digital ambassador. I can help out. And it's nice to see that it's something that's related to them. It's not something that was created by, you know, some older person saying, mm. you know, this is what's best for you. How did um, how did it come about? How did this idea of digital ambassadors and these young people being in those roles, how did that come about? And, and how easy was it to, to get them to become involved? One role easy, it's very easy to get young people involved because they wanted to help. They were like, hey, we had to do this on our own, and now we have an opportunity to help other Mm -hmm. people. And it came about because I didn't want to be a tick box in schools. So I know the schools have so much on their plate. They, and also parents as well, too. There's so many things. So I wanted to be in a space where we could have student agency. It didn't need to be something that the teachers had to teach. And but it did need to be something that could be reinforced within the school. So I would go to a school, I would teach stop, block and talk. And it was a one time session. And then if I came back the next year, a few of the kids might have remembered, 
but they weren't really engaging in the strategy. So the digital ambassador program came from how do we reinforce? Because we know that we can't have expectations for our young people if we're not willing to reinforce the behaviors. And so the youth ambassadors, the digital ambassadors, like from a primary school, are typically year five, six students, and they just take stop, block, and talk, and they just remind students, like sometimes through buddy reading, sometimes through different posters, different activities that they have in the school. I've seen some school do sketches or whatnot, but it's just reminding the students, hey, you have this strategy. So, and then the youth ambassadors, these are at the college level. They are the ones that have come up with the different issues that students are facing in the area. You know, some of the big stuff from like sextortion down to body image issues to consent and so on. These are the ideas that they are seeing in the area, how can we help younger people navigate through some of these issues? And so they are your 11, 12, 13 students and helping guide nine, year nine, seven, eight, nine students through some of these ideas as well. So the idea is we're building this pathway of future digital leaders, essentially, and giving mm-hmm. students to strive for it, but constantly reminding them of, you know, the digital safety strategies and expectations online. Yeah. Um yeah, I just I just love seeing. Isn't it incredible to see these young people stepping up and um, contributing their ideas and the strategies they've used and being, you know, really supporting this project and supporting this work and and um, helping yeah helping those younger than than them um, learn and hopefully not have some not have as have those negative experiences. Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned about um, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, you know, and we talked about you've mentioned there are a couple of the the impacts of not being digitally safe. You know, what are the yeah, what are the impacts? What what like when, you know, you're talking about that this is the fence, you know, this program is more about the preventative strategies, the fence mm-hmm. at the top of the cliff. So it, when when you saw that that wasn't there. Um, what what were the things that were happening? What were the what were the negative things that were happening as a result of the lack of digital safety that was out there? I think what were the impacts you were seeing? One of the impacts, the biggest one of the biggest things that we're seeing is a lack of understanding of digital footprint and how mm-hmm. that actually affects youth in their future. So right now, I talk to a lot of business owners or people that do hiring, and they'll tell me that they'll get a CV, and they look at the name, and then they go on social media, and they Mm -hmm. see what the person's doing on social media. So your digital footprint is essentially everything that you post online. Mm. It's In many cases, it's obvious. It's what you've posted on your social media, both public and private. And also, it's stuff posted about you that you're tagged in, or it's obvious who you are in those photos. And... The young kids are now online and they're posting online and they're sharing online really before they have that ability to understand the consequences of their actions. So that critical thinking skills to realize that if I do this today, this might affect me in the future. And if you think back to some of the politicians who have been in the news relatively recently, some Mm -hmm. of them have gotten in trouble because of social media posts and some of them have gotten Lucky because there wasn't any recordings of certain things that they might have done in their past, but that's not going to be the case anymore. So we see on the one end, it's digital footprint, just doing things that are going to potentially affect them negatively. And then on the other hand, it's just not understanding what the risks are out there. So a lot of, you know, parents will say, well, my kids aren't on social media, you know, we don't allow them to be on Messenger or Facebook or TikTok. And then my next question typically is, are they on Roblox or are they on Fortnite? And they'll be like, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a form of social media. So gaming is actually the first time that they're communicating with strangers online. Mm -hmm. And typically, from my research, and it's showing to be true in real life, it's by the time the kids are able to communicate – about 50% of the students are communicating with others online. So if I go into a year two classroom, I can just about guarantee that 50% of those students will be on Roblox or Fortnite or any of the other games like Farming Simulator that allow them to communicate with others. All right, so now they're more exposed to different things, sometimes pun intended, that they would not have been otherwise. Mm. So there, it's, you know, it's dealing with scams at a young age with kids clicking on links that maybe they shouldn't and they're seeing things that they shouldn't. So a lot of the stuff is accidental, but then dealing with swearing, dealing with violent images or violent movies, the YouTube 
not understanding that the algorithm that generates what you see next in your TikTok or YouTube, all of that stuff um, can affect what the kids see and them not knowing that they might be seeing these things and knowing. And then also the idea of bullying, you know, think back to when we were kids, we were able to go home at the end of school. We were able to have that weekend off. Mm. And but even, yeah, I mean, I recently had this conversation with someone where we talked about, you know, social media has a lot to answer for in, in the way we compare ourselves to others. And even as adults, right? I mean, um, I'll give the example, even as a, even as a, even as parents, um, and that before, you know, pre all of that, you were just comparing yourself to the neighbour. Yeah. You know, next door, your actual physical neighbor, maybe some of the people <laughs> around you in your school and that. But now we're here comparing ourselves to the whole world. But yet we don't have a full picture Absolutely. Of, of that person's life. But yet we are comparing ourselves directly with them. So and that's happening younger and younger now, too, that we're seeing. So you have girls as young as like nine years old. And the first time that they're really getting online, they might see all these really pretty people and wondering if they compare or sing. Or you see these lavish and amazing lifestyles, mm. and, you know. And when you're younger, you're at best comparing yourself to somebody in your village or in your neighborhood or in your town or your school. You're not really comparing yourself to all these people out there. And so, it's not necessarily at a young age having that ability to think critically and say, "Well, is this real or not?" Or what's what's actually happening or not realizing that a lot of that stuff is just filters or fake and how easy it is to change mm-hmm. how you look. And then that leads to another point. It's not understanding that everybody that you're talking to online is who they say they are, how easy it is to be online and pretend to be somebody else. So young kids knowing that their parents have told them, you know, we don't talk to strangers. This is what you don't tell strangers. You don't tell strangers where you live, your name, your um, what your bedroom looks like and all this other stuff. But online, I think there's that safety space. If kids feel, oh, well, I'm kind of anonymous, but not thinking through when I'm sharing photos, what personal information am I sharing? When people are asking me personal questions, should I be? They're not even thinking, should I? They're just answering. Mm. They're just talking. They're excited to be communicating with people. Mm. So and that's real young. You know, we're looking at about seven, eight years old. So it's just, it's kind of looking at what we're doing offline versus online and it's the same it's really a lot of times it's the same strategies that we can use as parents mm, but for us we're separating it yeah whereas for the kids it's just all the one yeah it's just because it's just their their world yeah. is both whereas for us we, it's quite separate yeah and there's a shift in thinking there isn't there that we can't necessarily we can we yeah we can apply the same strategies and we can um, apply our same learnings but we're often just scared about what we don't know so Absolutely. we'd rather just go and then okay. we just see things different. It's like, you know, it's hard. It was hard for me. My son loves a game. But you look at game, oh, he's online and he's online. But he's communicating with his friends. He's having a great time. He's collaborating. He's learning new skills. He's actually re- running a server so he knows what it's like to be responsible and take on responsibility. Mm. And that's how they interact with their friends now. So there's that fear of, you know, back in our day, we played all day and then just came home when the parents you know, called us in or said when the lights came on on the street lamps, you had to come inside. So it's just things are different and how we interact with our friends are different. So there's a little bit of scariness, I guess, in that where it's different, but it's not, I guess. We're still doing very similar things. It's just the repercussions now yeah. could potentially be way more than they were when we were kids. Yeah, I think it's important for us to tie back um, so we're talking about digital safety and well-being here. And there's an assumption that if people have, you know, tying that back to our topic around the digital divide and digital digital inequity. So, you know, when we're talking about the digital divide and digital inequity, as you said, normally we're we're thinking about access and we're thinking about people being or, or, or the skills to be able to use um, to, to use digital platforms. Um, and, and we're aware that there is a digital divide in Aotearoa globally. Um, and but what we're also acknowledging here is it's not that simple to just give people devices because we Absolutely. can close that divide by giving people devices and teaching them some skills. But if we, you know, the, solving that problem in inverted commas just on its own by throwing that at it without doing it in a strategic, safe way, actually 
creates a whole heap of more problems, which is what we've jumped into here. So it's almost another digital divide. It's almost another digital divide in the sense that, okay, now you're online, but you have, what experience do you have handling these situations? If you haven't been given any strategic help um, to deal with these things or being aware of the things that are online, then, okay, great, you're online now, but, you know, what are you going to do when this situation comes across? And the chances are dealing with some of the more negative stuff online, you have a really good chance of dealing with it. I mean, I think everybody knows somebody that's been scammed, and unfortunately, digital harm happens more than we'd like. So body image issues, that doesn't just happen with our kids. So a lot of the stuff happens to just about... Everything that we see negative online, we probably know somebody that's had to handle that or go through that. Mm. So if we're not giving them tools, then we're just increasing the amount of people that have the potential to have to deal with some of these things without the skills and strategies to manage it on their own. Yeah. um, And when we talked previously, we had talked about the um, impact of COVID, um, particularly on this aspect of of things and, and around you know, there was there was this, you know, way more people going online because we weren't meeting in person and the work that that um, that was happening to um, get kids online or some more kids were online because schools were kind of brought online to do some online learning. Can you talk a bit more about that? Well, during the impact of COVID, we saw that schools did a really good job of bridging the digital divide when it came to access and devices. So devices were given out to a whole bunch of schools and access was increased for the internet access. And then filters were also installed, I think, in more schools as well, or at least improved. But there wasn't really anything done on the actual safety space. And what we saw, and while the NetSafe report didn't necessarily draw a full causation link, during the time of COVID, when the country went on time, went online more, there was a huge increase across the board about all the different types of digital harm that people were coming across. So, you know, dealing with more scams to dealing with more digital harm issues in the sense of having photos or content posted and shared, more intimate content posted and shared online, or just reports of people, just reports of negative interactions online in mm. general, all of that increased while there was more people spending more time online during COVID. So an increase an increase in our digital access exposed a, a greater, a, exposed a gap in our digital safety skills. Absolutely. Yeah, but mm. I think it's just because we came across more issues that we would have not necessarily came across before. Because mm. if you think about it, again, you know, the chances, if you're going to school, during the day, you have students in schools, a relatively controlled situation. So your chances of being bullied at the primary level could be quite low. But then you're going online and you're accessing and you're playing games. And then all of a sudden, the mean talk with people feeling a little bit more brave to say things. You know, a lot of times the first interactions of negative interactions with people, like being really mean and saying mean things for some of these young kids is online. So now they're online more. So there's going to be more opportunity for some mm. of these issues to happen. Just talking about, um, you, you know, so as we're, we're talking here about digital equity and then digital safety, you know, who do you think or who do you see are the communities or um, groups of individuals that are most impacted by the digital divide and, and digital safety? I think there's the typical that we think of between the urban and the rural divide of who has access to, you know, Wi-Fi that works all the time and also how much bandwidth that you have as part of your plan and what plans are available. And then there's also the having the socioeconomic divide as well, too, just the ability to have devices. But I think one of the things also to think about, too, is that there's just the knowledge gap as well between people that have the skills and capabilities to navigate just general skill set of being able to use Online, So we see our co or our seniors in our community feeling a little bit left behind. And then 
once people are using more and more, have more access. It's just that skill set, those skills in their tool belt to be able to stay safe and well online as well, we're seeing. And that's just across all generations. It's not just, I think a lot of times when people think about the digital divide, they're like, oh, well, you don't have to worry about kids. You know, kids are usually the ones, you know, they're the digital natives. But we still need to guide them. And so once they have more access as well, too, Mm -hmm. those students and those people that have these skills are going to have a better wellness outcome than those that don't. So there's even that divide there. Mm, What do we see? You know, are you seeing where we're not putting these strategies in place, um, specific impacts short and long term? I think one of the things that we saw from COVID was an increase of filters being used in school and relying on those filters to block harm, I guess as opposed to actually teaching students the preventative digital safety strategies. And I think we have to be very careful if we, as also as parents, talking to parents as well, oh, I don't need to worry about this stuff because we have this filter. But what we've found is that it's quite easy to get around filters and even accidentally getting around filters. And I told you earlier about the teacher who was setting stuff up. You know, school installed the latest, greatest filter that's been approved and she was setting things up for Father's Day, and she had a couple students sitting behind her, and she typed in daddies into the URL, and there was a whole bunch of different types of daddies that came up. So, you wow. know, there's things that still get through the filters, and the kids are really clever. In some cases, they know that they can turn on VPNs, that gets around, and they also know that typing in foreign language a lot of words in foreign language will make it through the filters as well, too. So the kids know how to get around this stuff. So you have to assume that they're going to be exposed to these things. So we need to be able to teach them digital safety and well-being skills. So then who's ultimately responsible? Where you have the DIA, you have the digital inclusion blueprint that came out. And it talks about motivation, access skills and trust. And so within trust sits this digital safety and well-being space. And then you have the um, Ministry of Education that's come in and said, you know, digital literacy skills and this digital citizenship. And we need to work, you know, schools need to work with communities and FANO and come up with how do we keep our kids safe online. But the actual implementation hasn't really had that follow through Mm. yet. And it's hard. I mean, I really feel for a lot of these schools when they have so much curriculum change all the time. So how can they, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily fault schools for this not being the primary objective that they're trying to do. And then you have teachers and you got parents saying, you know, hey, it needs to be the school's responsibility to teach our kids how to be safe and schools saying, no, it needs to be the teacher's responsibility. And I go in and I teach digital safety and well-being strategies from year zero all the way up to year nine. And I hear it all the time, both ways, from the parents and from the schools. And it really needs to be the community coming together. And I think what's nice about what we're doing is that we're really trying to empower the students. Hmm. So we are trying to be that solution that allows schools to say, hey, we don't have that ability right now to tackle this. But if you bring in these, we teach the students digital safety strategies, all right, then we have the youth ambassadors or the digital ambassadors reinforcing the safety strategy to the hope that it just because some, becomes something that becomes a part of the school system. It just becomes another thing that they do when it comes to the student leadership groups or buddy reading, like all these little programs that they're already doing as part of the school. This just becomes another thing. And I think that, I not think, I know we've seen some wonderful outcomes already with students that have been in our program for a couple of years. Just, I'd love to say that bullying has reduced, but what we're actually seeing is the amount of time from a student being first bullied to it being solved has reduced. We're seeing girls, instead of feeling shame from the first time they get a nude sent to them, to feeling empowered to say, you know, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to deal with this. Um, so it's it's a changing of attitude because people are feeling empowered to know what to do in any given right. situation. And yeah. we know when somebody feels empowered that that's going to affect their well-being in a positive way. But it's it's shifting the um, the control, I guess, from, you know, we, we actually can't always control people's behavior, you know, around them 
sending these particular pictures yeah. or doing the bullying. You know, we can't always control that. But what we can control is what we do when we experience it and um, and um, feel empowered and um, feel good about how we approach that rather than sitting in shame yeah. with it. Yeah. And yeah, especially so if you to speak up. So you're stop, um, you know, your stop block talk um, is that that simple three step strategy really that is is, yeah, just stop and going, actually, this isn't about me. And I don't deserve this. And um, so I'm going to not, I'm going to block that. And then I'm going to talk to a trusted adult. And I can hear that those three words being so useful in many settings. It's not just, it's as you were saying before, it's, it is, yes, we're talking about this in a digital setting, but actually we need to think about this as a holistic thing, I guess, you know, there's life, normal life and digital life, but actually this is just life in our kids' lives. Mm. So by teaching them that strategy, it's not just about being safe in a digital setting. It's it's actually empowering them and giving them skills for, you know, for, for, for that will be useful across their life. Absolutely. And what's mm. nice is that we start stop block and talk young beca- before they start engaging really with others online. And then that block evolves to blocking users, reporting users mm. and, um, you know, just blocking themselves from engaging and then the talking as so you said you're a mother and yeah. until your kids really get to be in that intermediate age years I hate to say it but we're all influencers so we're their number one influencer and they're seeing what they're doing but once they hit that intermediate age they're going to start going to their friends so when I'm talking to students in class I talk I have them think about who are those friends that you have that have your back Mm. because talking to a trusted adult stop block talk evolves to talking to your trusted adult always know who that is but initially you might be talking to your trusted support network and that might be your group of friends that you have or the people that you have at school that you can talk to as well so it's really really important that they know and just opening up those channels and starting to talk to your kids at a very young age about the different things that they're doing on and online so your kids get used to talking to you about things yeah just keeping the conversation going so we've had a great conversation so far and covered a lot about um, digital inequity and digital safety within that. I guess thinking now about it for our listener, um, what actions would you like people to take or consider as a result of this conversation? For parents during our parent presentations at schools, we talk about the best techniques. And these are really techniques that parents are already doing offline, but just kind of giving them strategies and how they can apply it to the online world. And for example, the um, B in best technique stands for boundaries. And it's just talking to your kids about what it is that they're allowed to do online. So have a think, you know, about offline parenting. You're probably letting them know whose house they're allowed to go to, how long they're allowed to be at that house, and, you know, giving them some guidelines on what they can and can't do. And that's exactly when it comes to the online parenting. You know, you're allowed to be on Minecraft or you're allowed to be here for this amount of time. Don't navigate to other links unless you talk to us first. And it's just like, you know, you wouldn't have them go over to other people's houses without them talking to you as well. Because a lot of times the kids are seeing stuff incidentally for the first time. And a lot of times it's those extra links that they're clicking. I never thought about that. Someone would just share a link, you know, in one of those games. Yep. They're communicating and so they click on the link. Yep. So technically you've, they, they've not been breaking the rules. Yep. But to them, yeah. You if know, you haven't really, really thought simple. about, hey, this is the boundaries. Don't go... Clicking on links that you haven't talked to us about first. Um, sometimes that's are leading to scams and other things. So, mm. and then what the kids are actually allowed to do, you know, when are they allowed online? Okay, maybe you have rules around dinner time, rules around bedtime, about when they're actually allowed online, and then what it is that they're actually allowed to do online. Then the E is effective and open communication. So it's just talking to your kids at stop, block, and talk is just a reminder for us parents as well, too, to start having those conversations with your kids about what they enjoy doing online. Who do they like talking to? They have a reminder that a lot of those games have chat features on them. And just building that relationship so that you know that when your kids have something that they need to discuss with you, that they will come and talk to you. And the most important thing when talking with the young people in the colleges when coming up with these strategies is that they want parents to know that if you come to them, 
that you're going to have their back. And sometimes it's really hard because they might come up with something that they kind of started, but you have to have their back because you want to make sure that those lines of communication are open that Mm. in case something else happens, they know that they can still come to you. Then we have self-esteem as the S. And that is, is whether we like it or not, like we mentioned earlier, businesses are looking at people's social media. So if you look at the way that you communicate online as a way to positively promote your personal brand, then you know that you are really don't have anything to worry about. So with the young kids, I like to tell them, you know, if you say something online or doing something online and you, your nana or your mom or your teacher saw, if you'd be embarrassed, don't post it. You know, just think about if people are going to see this, you have to just assume that people are going to see your content, even on those private channels. And then also students that are older, really reminding young people to promote positivity. So not showing negative images of themselves, because what we're seeing is that when kids are posting and young girls especially are like, oh, I'm so fat or I'm so ugly or some of these negative, these are opportunities for some people to come in and start conversations with them that you, these type of people that you don't necessarily want communicating with our kids. So it's really just thinking of the internet as being this active, you're actively using social media, you're actively engaging as a way to promote yourself positively. And then use your family values. So the Mm -hmm. family values is that T and best um, to use that to guide what you are posting and what your kids are allowed to post online. Like and all of those those best techniques aren't just valid though for kids, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the self-esteem one, what we're posting online, you know, some most of us are still in our own working lives, you know, so thinking about you know, what we're posting online and not just on our LinkedIn. <laughs> but, um, you know, all of it is relevant for that digital footprint. Um, that's really valuable to think about as well. And we need boundaries as well, too. I mean, how yeah. many times have you caught yourself doom scrolling through your social media and you're like, oh, I'll just look and see what's on there for, for five minutes. And the next thing you know, we're like 30 minutes into our social media. So, I mean, really, these apply to us as well, too. If you yeah. Oh, having totally. the boundaries. Totally. And that and that um, whole algorithm, you know, we've talked about, I don't know if we talked about it earlier, but, you know, on any of those platforms, whether it's TikTok, whether it's um, Instagram, you know, any of those platforms that, you know, the more the, the next link you click, the next link that's presented or recommended for you and you can just go off down into these holes. Right. And and a really great, that I think, stat that you shared from a report um, I just have to share it because it was really interesting. A TikTok algorithm leads to darker and darker results. Example of a girl watching for mental health advice leading to videos on how she can kill herself. Yeah. Um, within 2.6 minutes, TikTok recommended, recommended suicide content. Within eight minutes, TikTok served content relating to eating disorders. So like it just escalates That's, really quickly. Absolutely. And, and, and having a conversation with someone else recently about a um, an elderly parent watching um, YouTube and just watching more and more videos because and they were following the recommended links and it was related to political content and finding it interesting. But actually, you know, what was that leading them to? Was that real news or was it fake news? Was it propaganda? So we're not talking about just kids. We're talking about ourselves, our parents, our aunts and uncles, our brothers or sisters. You know, we're talking about everyone, keeping everyone digital sa- digitally safe. Yep, absolutely. Mm. And we're not thinking when we are interacting with Facebook or Instagram. I mean, I think we've all seen how the algorithm works in general, right? So like we're shopping for a new car and doing all these Google searches on a new car. And then all of a sudden my Facebook keeps showing photos of new cars or ads for new cars. Yeah. So how did that get there? That's part of our digital footprint because that's based on all the different links that we're clicking, all the different likes that we have, all the subscriptions. So when TikTok, that example that you gave for TikTok and also YouTube, it's seeing what you've liked before and it keeps serving you up more content. And we know just as a human species, unfortunately, some of the more negative stuff, the more sensationalized stuff tends to get the most likes or tends to get the most views. So mm. then that's feeding into it. And it's the same thing that we're seeing with the algorithm with the young girl as well. She started off initially on that TikTok. She was dealing with mental health. There's a mental health crisis in New Zealand. There's not enough help for a lot of these young people. So, or they don't think, or they don't know where they can find help. So they are instead searching up on social media. Mm. And so initially, that article that I sent the statistics from, initially she was just on just to get some mental health. 
advice. And, and an, it was an very innocuous, and then boom, mm. it went. And so one of the things that I recommend to parents, and this is also going to be parents that have grandparents, is take a look about what they're actually seeing as part of the algorithm that's being fed up. So I told you the story earlier about how our young 19-year-old trustee, she sees on her social media completely, we could like the exact same things and be following the same things, but what she'll see is completely different than what I'll see. And that's going to be across all the activity on the different apps and stuff that she's using, building that algorithm for her. So it's, it's really personalized what it is that we're getting. And that's why you've seen in the United States, the when the politicization of the social media and the last presidency, essentially, their social media feeds were just showing them stuff that was reaffirming what it totally. was that they already, yeah. already believed because of those algorithms. Mm. I don't so, know if you we, I mentioned it when we were speaking before, and I found it incredibly powerful to watch. Um, and just to, to get thinking about it was the social network that documentary that was on Netflix and you know if you haven't watched it I would highly recommend people watch it and just to engage your critical thinking a little bit um, because you know a lot of people are genuinely not aware of this I don't know how you can't be because um, it is so much more prevalent in the media yeah. but but I think you know start with things like that you know and become aware of actually you're not in charge necessarily of everything that gets presented to you because actually there is a there is a system why do you think it's free yeah it's not free actually Mm. you're the product all that data that's being collected about you is what's being in to generate Mm. what you're seeing next so it's not really free so understanding what it is really that you're sharing yeah yeah one of the one of the advices for parents as well too is that they don't need to be the experts across all the apps Mm. and stuff that their kids are playing they just Mm. apps or games or anything that the kids are doing online if the parents never seen it before that's all right you can be an expert real soon by just searching up on mr google your friend and asking um a parent's guide to whatever the name of the app is Mm, mm. and so a lot of these places will give you steps in order to ensure that your kids are staying safe on that app And so just talking to your kids what they're doing on the app and then finding out what apps are using as you're having those conversations with them and then using um, that information to go to Google and search up the best ways for you to parent through, the best ways for you as a parent to um, ensure that the kids are using that in a safe Mm. way. Oh, that's a great final tip. Um, You know, yeah, a great final tip for parents to take away there as well. What barriers or criticisms have you faced in your work? One of the biggest barriers is I think because digital safety hasn't really been foregrounded anywhere. So at the Digital Inclusion Blueprint, it's just kind of part of that trust with the Ministry of Education. It's part of the digital fluency. It's not really been a priority. There's no real policy for it. So I think there's a bit of a barrier of who's really responsible? Is it is it the parents? Is it the schools? Is it who? Mm. So there's a barrier there. And then there's also a barrier. One of the other barriers is when it comes to that digital footprint. Who's ultimately responsible for your kid's digital footprint? So what I mean by that is that who's taking photos and posting photos up of your kid online? And, you know, are you adding to the digital footprint? Well, should your kids have a say about what's added in the digital footprint? So just a little bit of resistance on, well, it's my kid. You know, I should be able to do what I want. Or even just bigger picture, people just taking photos of other people and posting them online without any real guidance around it. So those conversations have caused a little bit of resistance. And so, and I can understand that. So one of the things that I recommend is that, if you're posting a photo of your child online, just to bring them along on that journey, saying, you know, we're posting this photo of you because it shows achievement and that's one of our values. So taking the action of posting online mm-hmm. to become something that is an active thing that we're doing mm-hmm. instead of passively doing it so that we're teaching our kids how to be positive and why we're doing this online. Because what we're seeing is when the students get older and they finally have the freedom to post you know, they're not they really understand. thinking through the they're consequences. Just, they and just like, fire it out there. You're like, like, hey, yeah, it's fine. people posting photos of yeah. me, that's yeah. all right. So, so why is that not okay, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, as you shared that with me earlier, it made me think, well, 
even if it is that I'm going to post it anyway, um, having the conversation is meaning that I'm going to be more intentional about why I'm posting it because I have to have the conversation about it because I'm going to go, oh, why am I posting that photo of my child? Oh, yeah, actually, because I do want our little our group of friends to see it. And I'm OK with that photo being out there. I can say that out loud mm. and intentionally name that rather than just doing it. Yeah, because we're getting then I'm making an intentional choice rather than just putting it all out there. Absolutely. What we're hearing now is we have I've had kids come to me and say, you know, I have my auntie post photos of me and I don't like her posting photos of me or I've had college students. A lot of them will be like, you know, it's been you know, we've had photos taken of me since I was in year two, year three. And there's a whole lot of people that would now be strangers to me that I know have photos of me from when I was a kid. So teachers who might have taken photos of kids during outings or athletics day Mm. or whatnot on their personal devices, posting online, but not necessarily clearing it from the devices. So, you know, kids, students will talk about, you know, that's kind of creepy that people have. There's Mm. all these people that have photos of me that I don't Mm. know about. So it's just people not really thinking about thinking through who was actually all affected when photos are being taken and posted online. Yeah, that's really that that's a that's a that's a that's a good conversation point to to let people to think about, you know, who's respons- ultimately responsible for our kids' digital footprint and how do you engage them in the conversation? Um, mm, um, I just think we've had such an awesome conversation today. It's, there's just so many threads mm. and, and we knew that anyway. Um, but there's just so much. Yeah, there's so much gold there. Um, I would just say to our listener, you know, to take the time. I'll share. I'll share the website for um, NASA's Trust as long as the uh, along with the resources as well, so you can have a look yourself and start this conversation in your own home, in your community, and start to think about your own digital safety. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent, or um, you're just an individual, or whatever age you are, but digital safety is for all, and that it's not as simple as us just to do digital a digital divide is yes about access to digital platforms and um, to digital platforms and digital devices but actually we need to close that divide safely because otherwise we're creating other inequities and we're creating other damage so thank you for the work that you do Nisa thank you for being um, putting work into putting that fence at the top of the cliff rather than letting everyone be um, get to the ambulance at the bottom so I really wish you all the best and look forward to continuing this conversation Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Digital Divide. This is one of a series of conversations. Podcasts of the series will be available on the Plains FM website, Spotify and Apple. If you have any questions or feedback or you have ideas for other topics that we should explore, you can find my email address on the Digital Divide page on the Plains FM website. Please share with your networks so that we can continue to amplify marginalised voices, provoke system change and help us all be more inclusive and understanding of others' experiences. Thank you, Link Roro, Plains FM and Ako Ototahi Learning City Christchurch for supporting this project.